Genesis 1 this morning. Uh, we're looking at this topic of human dignity uh, today. Uh, I found out after uh, the 9 o'clock gathering as I preached, there's some things that come to light. This, this is a heavy topic and a heavy morning that we gather around God's Word, but we can't shy away from the truth. We can't draw back uh, from the truth of what God's Word preaches and the implications that that has on our society and our culture. And so it's kind of my pre-sermon warning. This is going to be a heavy Sunday for us, but uh, it will culminate in the preaching of the gospel and uh, looking upon Jesus as our only source of hope. So we look to Genesis 1, uh, 26 to 28, and then we will uh, skip down to verse 31. If you want to look on with me, it says this, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. It says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, hear these words. And God said, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, hear this, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Why do we uh, preach around this particular Sunday in January on the issue of human dignity or uh, image bearers, the, the issue of, of life, is that yesterday, if you don't know this, yesterday marked the 49th anniversary of the historic Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision, which ruled that the Constitution of the United States grants women the ability to choose to abort their unborn child without excessive government intrusion. That happened 49 years ago yesterday. Uh, we know that abortion is not localized just to our country. Looking uh, statistically, looking beyond our borders itself, the World Health Organization estimates this. 40 to 50 million abortions occur every year. That's staggering. Abortion is so pervasive that it's, it's likely, and I, I don't kid myself in knowing that this is likely hit home right here in this room among our congregation. It's, it's likely that one in four women in our congregation may have had an abortion, and we need to be, as the people of God, loving people, mindful of that as we approach this subject. My aim this morning is not to heap guilt on you, but to give you uh, grace and mercy, extend grace and mercy to you through the good news about Jesus. I begin with an invitation in this way, if this has impacted you personally, to shed the guilt that comes with the sin of committing abortion and to offer to you the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that comes about through the cross of Christ. Jesus loves you. I can't imagine, I cannot know or imagine the, the pain and shame that, that you may feel as a man. I won't understand that. I don't understand that. 
But the beauty of the gospel is, is that we have a great high priest who loves you and who has died for your sin. Hear this. Every single one of them. Mercy and grace are found at the cross of Christ. Hold fast to Jesus. Uh, Knowing these statistics, the impact that this may hit close to home with some people in our congregation, people may shy away, especially at the controversy that surrounds such a subject as this, that we may shy away from this and not speak to it, but I simply cannot. The Word of God cannot. It it pushes us to speak about the dignity of humanity. And I will say this, the issue of human life, and more specifically human dignity, is central to the gospel. It's central to the gospel. And so we take this Sunday in close proximity to the anniversary of this Supreme Court decision to focus on this topic. It's why we invite our ministry partners in, just like we did last year in Sunrise and ALC, uh, to, to equip you with ways that you can have an impact on these numbers and on this cultural issue that we have in our society. I think Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, says, uh, makes an incredible statement about human dignity. He says this, human dignity can survive only if we commonly believe and commonly affirm that every single human being at every stage of development is a person, hear this, made in God's image and bearing the dignity that is the mark of God's personal possession. Humans matter, simply put. And this issue of human dignity reaches far beyond just the importance of preserving and standing for the the unborn. Dignity also teaches us this, the value of each and every person, not only in the womb, but also all the way to the grave. Each human that bears the creative mark of our Heavenly Father and our various colors that we bear as an outward display of God's beautiful creativeness. Every person who is or is not a citizen of this country and every hidden life that is held in the womb of its mother. Human dignity reaches to those that our society, our Western culture, has even at large kind of cast aside. I read a few months back a heartbreaking article in, the public, in a publication called The Atlantic. Have you guys heard of The Atlantic before? The title of which is this, uh, The Last Children of Down Syndrome is what this article was entitled. And the article outlines the abortion of humans in the country of Denmark. For the mere fact that they have this, they have an extra chromosome that leads to what we know is Down Syndrome. In that country, hear the the statistic, in that country, 95% of the unborn that are diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. In 2019, only 18 children were born with Down syndrome in the whole country of Denmark. Comparatively, in the United States, 6,000 human beings with Down syndrome are born a year. This is a travesty. The beauty and mark of our Creator is evident on each and every single human being. I speak to uh, our brothers and sisters with, with Down syndrome because it hits close to home. Some of my 
most dear relationships in my life are two individuals who have Down syndrome. Kayleen Alexander, back home where I'm from in California, and Samuel Ellis, two people that have had a special, special place on my heart. I love them deeply because they are people. They are human beings made in the image and likeness of God. The beauty and mark of our Creator is evident on each and every human being, and each and every human being is a person deserving of a chance at life and dignity. But this question may draw forth, why? Why is that? We look at a few points this morning around human dignity. First, human dignity flows from God to each successive human. Human dignity flows from God to each successive human. The creation story in Genesis is, is a beautiful telling of our creative triune, okay? Uh, we talked last week, our God is Trinity, triune God, imparting his will and glory and might, his power through this, through the speaking of all things into existence. He creates uh, light from darkness, calling upon it to shine forth. He creates boundaries of which land and sea separate and further boundaries of which the expanse above and the expanse below are separated. And then he did this. He calls forth plants and vegetation. Okay, we, get to, we see this right here where we live in Kentucky, especially the transformation right now when you are driving in. Everything just looks kind of dead and dull, doesn't it? But come spring, thank God that spring comes. The, the sun begins to shine here, and it warms the soil, and things spring back to life, don't they? The green burst forth from that gray, dull color. The leaves burst forth on the trees. Seeds fall, and the saplings come back up. For those of you who have a little bit of property and, and try to keep your land clear, those saplings are hard to keep at bay, aren't they? They just keep coming back, because life always wants to break forward and burst forth. God called forth plants and vegetation that recreate themselves every year through seed over and over and over again. He placed the sun and the moon and the stars. He calls and creates animals to team about in the oceans and on land, forming beautiful, sustaining ecosystems. He created birds to fly about and sing their beautiful song. Again, looking towards spring, I'm longing for a warmer weather. That robin song that comes as we warm again, right? There's nothing more beautiful. I didn't understand that from where I grew up in Southern California until I moved here. And I start seeing the robins come in. It's like, okay, warmth is coming soon. We will live. And then God creates a unique creature. One, his word says, bears his image and likeness. Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then hear this, male and female, he created them. Family, we're not, we're not mere animals evolved from primates over millions of years, but rather humans are this. Humans are the pinnacle, meaning the peak of God's creative agency. 
the one created being that God made in his own image and likeness for the purpose, this is your purpose, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Human dignity has not evolved from from nothing, but comes from the objective and unchanging source of its creator God, whom we call truth. And it flows from God to each successive human. We get this picture of, of image and likeness in our own offspring, our own children, right? When you gather together with your family and the grandparents look at the kids and they say, oh man, you look exactly like your mother or you look exactly like your father. In my household, the even character attributes, of course, all the negative character attributes come from me and my children, right? And all of the positive ones come from my wife. We see this succession from God to human beings to the children that are created. We also see this in Scripture. I love this passage in Genesis chapter 5, following the storyline of Adam. Verses 1 to 3, it says, this is the book of, of the generations of Adam. It says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Hear this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, what? In his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. We see this succession of image and likeness from generation to generation. This is the beauty of life. I, I don't know about you, for those who have children... One of the most emotional days of my life is when my children were born, my daughter and my son. And I wept, not out of sorrow, but out of joy. When I looked upon them and, and this miracle that God has, has put forth that a man and a woman would come together and this miracle of life would burst forth. The joy of seeing our children And what do you do? Oh, that looks like mom. That looks like dad. It's the beauty of life. We bear the image of God and God's beautiful creation. We are the the created being that when God paused and he stepped back and he looked at all that he made, it says, it is very good. I love the simplicity of that. Just looked upon it and his word says, It is very good. Theologian R.C. Sproul says this. He says, The creator who possesses infinite value and worth. Hear that. He possesses infinite value and worth, has stamped us with value and dignity that is derivative of his own value and dignity, meaning it flows from God. And then he gives us this simple application. Love people because they reflect his dignity. What more needs to be said? Love people because they are in the image and likeness of their creator. Our infinite father has stamped us with his own dignity and value, and so we must value all life. Each and every person, black and white, man and woman, rich and poor, adult and child. The Bible has a thing or two to say about partiality, right? And if we are to truly understand 
this issue of human dignity, it's not, it's, it's not something new in our generation, our day and age. This has been an ongoing battle. It's a spiritual war. And it brings us to our next point. Human dignity is the centerpiece of a spiritual war. You see, the, the truth is, there is a counterfeit that exists. This counterfeit has, has been trying to subvert the power and will and glory of God since near the beginning of time. We know this counterfeit as Satan, who was shown as a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. If you look to verses 1 to 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And this serpent says this to the woman. Hear this. Did God actually say? The serpent questions the command of God, the truth of God. Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Do you see the offer there? You will be like God, knowing good and Evil. The puzzling question that we draw forth in that passage, that question that each of us battle, did God really say? The invitation to doubt. Through Jesus, we have the invitation of eternal life. Satan, the liar, deceiver, gives us the invitation to doubt the truth. The temptation, do it, do it just one time. God really say, just this one time, put that other person down to elevate yourself in the workplace. Just this one time, go to the clinic and abort that child that will, that will get in the way of educational or career advancement. And you see that the center of, of this spiritual battle exists on this premise, okay? I want you to hear this. On these two things, it's either one of these. This is the center of the spiritual battle. Humanity is more than it is. That's the serpent's offer. You will be like God. Or humanity is less than it is. He works in that way too. Let me explain a little bit. If we are more than we are, we then impose our agency, our will, our viewpoints, our desires above that which God declared what? Very good. We put ourselves in the place of God. If we are less than, though, if we are less than the pinnacle of of God's creative power, then we, we passively allow the death of the unborn in the name of choice. We put other human beings in shackles and sell them as property. We allow our young women and men to be abducted and sold as sex slaves. That happens here. Or we sit idly by as orphaned children are gathered to group homes with no place to call their own, no person to call mom or dad. Human beings deserve better than that because they're made in the image and likeness of God. 
This is the spiritual and physical battlefield. This is the lie of the enemy and his minions. That you are more than you are, you're a God, you can be like God, or that you're less than you are, you're just an animal. We see this play out throughout, throughout the history of Israel and the, and the implications of the law. Again, we, we can look at the issues that we have culturally, culturally now and say, man, where did this come from? But it's always existed. Since the dawn of sin, it has existed. And we find all the way back in the Old Testament that, that the law of God upholds human dignity protecting life from death at the hands of another person. I'll give you an example from the book of Leviticus. We meet this character named Moloch. Moloch was, was an idol that people worshipped in this culture, in this eastern culture. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. That's serious. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Moloch. Man, that is a heavy, heavy passage. Moloch, again, to give you some context, was, was an idol in this region. He was generally a, a large statue made out of metal, a human body with, with a bull's head. He was fashioned with a hole in his midsection that would be lit on fire. People that worship Moloch, they believe this, that if they pass their firstborn child through the flames, okay, burning them up, sacrificing them, that, that this idol Moloch would give them financial prosperity. Again, the spiritual battle. Are we more than we are or less than we are? We see the collision of, of the issue right here in this, in this battle at the statue of Moloch all the way back in the Old Testament. This is not a new issue that we're facing. We may think in, in our modern mind, how primitive, right? Right? But we do the same thing in secrecy in clinics veiled as family centers with instruments that dismember and discard the beauty of God's image and likeness stamped upon our most vulnerable members of society. And so what do we do? We must pray and proclaim the truth of God's word. That this truth that humanity is the centerpiece of God's creation, created in the image and likeness of God to do this, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. Human life should be protected because of the dignity imparted to humanity by the triune God in whom we were created in the likeness of. And here's the beauty, is that we see this truth culminate, come together in the person and work of Jesus. 
The truth we proclaim is that God so loved this centerpiece of creation that He took on humanity Himself. It brings us to our last point. Human dignity culminates in the person and work of Jesus. Human dignity culminates in the person and work of Jesus. Again, God so loves that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. This is how much God cares about His creation. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says this exactly about him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is God. John's gospel gives us a beautiful picture of creation. And I love taking this with what we see in Genesis chapter 1. And then now looking at, at John expose and draw out more truth of what is going on in that account. So we'll look at verse John 1.1 1, 1, and then we'll skip to verse 14. John says this, In the beginning was the Word. Okay, The Word is another name for Jesus. He is the Word of God. It says, And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Looking to 14. This is beautiful. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. He came. It says this, And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. And, and then it gives us this detail. Full of what? Full of grace and truth. We should be people like that, full of grace and truth. And so if, if God declaring the creation very good when he created humanity isn't enough to convince us of the value and dignity of humanity, then Jesus must be. Jesus shows us the value that God places on the human person. God took on flesh and came to earth to be the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, his word says. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is our source of hope. His word calls him this in John, the gate. Calls Jesus the gate. Jesus is the door to right relationship with God. That's what he offers us. And to live as humans were designed and created to live. Not more than, not less than, but exactly what we were created to be. That's what Jesus offers us. He offers us true humanity. He displays humanity in perfection. And through His perfection, His sacrifice, and His resurrection we can enjoy eternal life with Him. Eternal, never-ending life with Jesus. God gave everything for His people. That is how much He values you. He loves you. And in Christ, we are His, 
his children. We're called sons and daughters. I love to say that as often as I can because it's a beautiful truth. You are a son. Through Jesus, you are a son or daughter of God that has created everything. That's amazing. We can call him father. And in Jesus, we witness the love God has for humanity. That he was willing to descend into his creation and take on flesh and dwell among us. That truth should just absolutely blow our minds. God loves us enough to do that. He is the key difference between the influence of the enemy, Satan, on creation. There is a spiritual battle going on right now for your soul. Jesus is the promised one. He is the one that the counterfeit God tried to destroy before he ever existed. From the time in the garden when when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, Satan has done this. He has battled against God's kingdom and against God's people. He strives to set up a counterfeit kingdom that promises but doesn't ever deliver. Why? Because he's a liar. And this, this assault centers on, take, on the taking of human life, the devaluing of human dignity. We see this all throughout Scripture in, in, in the bloodthirsty decree of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1 in the sacrifice of children at the foot of Moloch, and in the New Testament, the declaration of, of King Herod to take life when he heard that the Messiah had come. Here's the truth. Satan could not thwart God's redemptive plan to save the very good thing that he created. The first promise and prophecy of the coming Messiah is found in Genesis 3.15. We call this passage the Proto-Evangelium. What does that mean? It's the first mention of the gospel. Evangelium means good news. This is the first mention of the gospel in Scripture. All the way back in Genesis. Did you know the gospel is in Genesis says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Hear this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. At the cross, Jesus brought about the beginning of the end of our spiritual enemies. Paul says in Colossians 2.15, I love this, he says this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them, hear this, to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Who's the him? Jesus. At the cross, Jesus triumphed over our enemies. Family, God has won. Hear this, here are all three parts of it. God has won, God is winning, and God wins. Past, present, future, through Jesus. And so, what do we do? We look to the issues in which, in which we battle for the dignity of humanity. And so, one of those pressing issues is that we aim to protect the life of the vulnerable and the unborn in the womb. We aim also to care for the orphan child who needs love 
in a home. Family, we, we have to, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from our culture. We've got to put our money where our mouth is. Okay, we say we stand for life. But do we in our actions? Are we there to speak to that young girl who's afraid, who just found out she's pregnant, who doesn't want to talk to her parents about that? Are we there to be a shoulder to cry on and to let her know that everything's going to be okay and that we're there to love her and that she has a Savior that died for her? Are we there when, when families neglect their children, when they abuse their children, and our state takes them away out of their home and places them into foster care? Are we there to be a warm embrace for those? To love them? We aim also, this is, this is not less than abortion, but it's much more than that. Human dignity reaches into all of the places of our society. And so we must aim also to walk in impartiality in regards to race and economic status. Again, back to what I said earlier. God's word, I've been reading in Proverbs, it has a lot to say about partiality or favoritism. We long also to care for those among us in our family who are widows who have lost that closest human relationship, that person that they loved, their companion, we, church, are to stand with them and to love them and to be there for them. This is the character of God. This is the image and likeness that we bear. This is the dignity and value that God has placed on humanity and so I leave you with this, these four words. I hope these are our action points as we go out. We pray, proclaim, partner, and persist. This is a battle that is first fought on our knees, pleading with our Heavenly Father, repenting where we have fallen short, and calling upon God to move through His people, to be people of action. We proclaim, we must not shy away from the truth. We speak the truth, and we speak it, what? His word says, in love. We proclaim the good news about Jesus. We, we proclaim the truth about human dignity and human life. We partner. I love that we have ALC and Sunrise with us because they, they are organizations that are acting right now in our community. We don't need to do anything new as a church. That's all we have to do is say, I'll help. I'll give. That's all we have to do. To partner with great organizations that are helping right here with these issues that we face as a culture. And then lastly, we must persist. We can't give up. As our culture runs and flees from the truth of God's word, we have to persist. We have to hold fast to the truth of Scripture. We must hold fast to the truth that it teaches on human dignity, and we persist in that every single day. We keep going. The Christian life is so much about persistence and perseverance. 
And so we keep going every day. We get up, pray, proclaim, partner, persist. So I want to invite our worship band to come forward now as we respond to the preaching of God's Word.